0: CyberBit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Fishing with a bogus hardware wallet as bait... Empty threats from a dark side impersonator. Cyber vigilantes may be distributing anti-piracy malware. Data security incidents at a cruise line and a U.S. grocery chain. Malek Ben Salam from Accenture looks at optimizing security scanning. Our guest is Edward Roberts of Imperva on their 2021 Bad Bots Report. And a conviction for a cryptor with a sentence to follow. From the CyberWire Studios at Datatribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire Summary for Friday, June 18th, 2021. We're accustomed to phishing by email, and vishing is also now a fairly commonplace threat. There's a new approach, however, that dangles its bait in the form of a dongle. Hot for security, reminding readers that almost three-quarters of a million customers of the hardware wallet Ledger had their email and physical addresses compromised last December, thinks we now know why. It appears to have been the onset of an elaborate phishing effort. Some Ledger users have received what appear to be replacement wallet hardware units. They are, however, bogus and represent an attempt to steal keys and cryptocurrency. Bleeping Computer has pictures of the devices and an account of the poorly written scam text that accompanied them. The device itself came in a slick, well-made, and professionally shrink-wrapped box, and the bogus key looks legit enough to be persuasive. But the accompanying letter should have blown the gaff to any moderately aware recipient— Composed as it was in jarringly bad English with the poor idiomatic control characteristic of the cyber criminal. Here's a sample Bleeping Computer shared. It starts off well enough. The letterhead is convincing, and the first two paragraphs explain in respectable enough discourse prose that unfortunately Ledger was subjected to a cyber attack in July of last year and that contents of its customer database were dumped on Raid Forum. So far, so good. But after the first two paragraphs, the quality of the prose falls off dramatically. The crooks write, quote, For this reason, for security purposes, we have sent you a new device. You must switch to a new device to stay safe. There is a manual inside your new box. You can read that to learn how to set up your new device. For this reason, we have changed our device structure. We now guarantee that this kind of breach will never happen again. End quote. As the copy editors say, sick, especially after kinda. It's not quite shadow brokeries, but it's on that path. All in all, however, someone went to a lot of trouble to be convincing. When the criminal market starts to advertise for editors, Katie bar the door. Another point worth noting is the way in which the lie is surrounded with the customary bodyguard of truth, In fact, information about Ledger customers was indeed dumped on the Raid Forum hackers' site last year. Ledger has been warning its customers about the breach since December 20th. Success breeds imitation, proverbially the sincerest form of flattery, and this is no less true of criminal success than it is of legitimate achievement. Sometimes that imitation rises to the level of impersonation— Darkside is the latest subject of such flattery. Trend Micro this morning reported that imitators are sending extortion emails to companies in the energy and food sectors. The target selection would seem to be shaped by the recent notoriety of ransomware attacks against Colonial Pipeline and the JBS Food Processing Company. The emails began to circulate on June 4th, with a few being dispatched daily. The text begins with a matey, Hi, this is Darkside, and goes on to talk large about what it's accomplished against the recipient's systems. Quote, It took us a lot of time to hack your servers and access all your accounting reporting. Also, we got access to many financial documents and other data that can greatly affect your reputation if we publish them. It was difficult, but luck was helped by us. One of your employees is extremely unqualified in network security issues. You could hear about us from the press. Recently, we held a successful attack on the JBS. For non-disclosure of your confidential information, we require not so much, 100 bitcoins. Think about it. These documents may be interesting not only by ordinary people, but also by the tax service and other organizations if they are in open access. We are not going to wait long. You have several days. End quote. So there. There are several things wrong with this, apart from the appearance of having been written by the same people who composed the third and fourth paragraphs of the letter that accompanied those bogus Ledger hardware wallets. For one thing, JBS wasn't hit by Darkseid, but rather by another gang, R-Evil, and that doesn't lend the pitch very much verisimilitude. Second, there's been no reported disruption of the target's operations. Darkside usually sends its ransom note after the victim sees a problem. And third, there's no offer of any sample documents as evidence that the extortionists have the goods on the victim. So, the whole thing seems to be a tacky commercial analog of the low-grade sextortion emails that tell you, falsely, they've got saucy pictures of you that you'd probably prefer not to be plastered across the internet. Japan has been most affected, followed by Australia, the United States, Argentina, Canada, and India, with lesser rates of approach experienced by companies in China, Colombia, Mexico, the Netherlands, Thailand, and the UK. Trend Micro has some good news. They've looked at the crypto wallet the goons have directed victims to, and they've found no signs that anyone has actually paid up. We've heard a fair bit about cyber-privateering lately, especially in the days surrounding the now-concluded Russo-American summit. But cyber-vigilantism hasn't been in the news much until yesterday, at any rate. You, of course, wouldn't download pirated software any more than we would, but suppose a friend were to ask your opinion. Rights and wrongs aside, even the basest self-interest should now lead that hypothetical friend to avoid doing so. Sophos has described what appears to be a strain of Vigilante malware, apparently designed to prevent infected computers from visiting pirate sites. The malware has been distributed through BitTorrent and Discord, disguised as pirated copies of games and other software products. Vigilante is a reasonable first guess, but the operator's ultimate purpose remains murky. Sophos principal investigator Andrew Brandt explained the ambiguities to InfoSecurity magazine. He said, quote, On the face of it, the adversary's targets and tools suggest this could be some kind of crudely compiled anti-piracy vigilante operation. However, the attacker's vast potential target audience, from gamers to business professionals, combined with the curious mix of dated and new tools, techniques, and procedures— and the bizarre list of websites blocked by the malware all make the ultimate purpose of this operation a bit murky." In any case, probably best to stay clear of the pirated software. Two other data breaches are in the news today. Cruise ship line Carnival disclosed that it sustained a data breach in March, the company told Bleeping Computer that the attackers accessed limited portions of its information technology systems. Some customer, employee, and crew information is believed to have been exposed, but Carnival thinks the probability that the data have been misused is low. And returning to shore, two unsecured cloud databases used by U.S. grocery chain Wegmans may have exposed customers' names, home and email addresses, phone numbers, birth dates shoppers' club numbers and hashed passwords to their store accounts, WCVB reports. Finally, in a case the U.S. Justice Department says is an example of how seriously it intends to take ransomware, Russian national Oleg Koshkin has been convicted on federal charges related to his operation of Cryptor websites, including Crypt4U, which helped ransomware and other malware evade detection by antivirus programs, The Department of Justice said that Koshkin and his co-conspirators claim that their services could be used for malware, such as botnets, remote-access Trojans, keyloggers, credential stealers, and cryptocurrency miners, end quote. Mr. Koshkin faces a maximum penalty of 15 years' imprisonment. He'll be sentenced on September 20th. And before we go, a heartfelt happy Juneteenth. On this first observance, of the newest U.S. federal holiday. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. There's that old joke that on the internet, no one knows you're a dog. And the same might be said for online bots. Some bots are loud and obvious, while others do their best to hide the fact that they are, in fact, bots. The team at Imperva recently published their 2021 Bad Bot Report, and joining us with highlights is Imperva's Edward Roberts.
1: It's something that we've done uh, for the past eight years. So this is the eighth uh, time we've published this report. And uh, we look at it as trying to aggregate the, the data across our platform to see you know, the different kinds of bot traffic and human traffic that we see. So this is an aggregate report of, of data across uh, many industries globally um, telling you about the traffic that's on, on the Internet and on websites around the globe.
0: Well, let us have it. I mean, what what's our bot situation these days? What, what did you all find?
1: Um, I think what we found is that um, the bot traffic is is increasing again. It's the, the the worst amount of bot traffic, and we've actually gone over a quarter of all internet traffic. Is classified as a bad bot. Um, that is doing something that you haven't allowed, and and you do not want them on your site. It's automation that you haven't approved. Um, and so, it, it, normally it's been in the 19 to 22 percent range, and now we're we're, we're just over the 25 percent range. So um, it, it's creeping up. And and the, I guess the one thing that's the the outlier this year is that the pandemic has obviously created a scenario where more and more people are purchasing things online. And, and having daily activities online. Um, and so bot operators have also been very active in there as well. So we think that's part of the driver. One of the interesting findings that we have in the Bad Bot report this year was that we saw that every business that has a login page has an account takeover attack for 16% of their time over a year. So that's literally from January to the end of February. You've got a continuous ATO account takeover, credential stuffing attack happening on your login page. So think about that as a volume. If that's something that you want to take care of, that that a lot of people would not want the fraud that would uh, follow those types of attacks. So that's kind of the average that we see.
0: That's remarkable. I mean, what one in one in seven, one in eight, I suppose somewhere around there. The of login right. attempts are fraudulent.
1: Mm. Yeah, we have actually the, the actual number of the number of attempts is is 34% of all login attempts are fraudulent, um but the mm. amount of time that you suffer under these attacks um, we said is 16% of of the time, so that's uh, oh, two, I see. effectively two months period.
0: Yeah, let's dig into that, Sam. I mean obviously we've we've heard stories in the news about things like, you know, being able to having a hard time getting your hands on something like a PlayStation because uh you know, bots have scooped them all up. Is is that something you all have been tracking here through the pandemic?
1: Absolutely. That is that is one of the big shifts. Um, you know, we, we would classify that as automated abuse called scalping. Uh, and people typically have known as scalping um, in the ticketing for shows or, or sporting events where you um, can can scalp that ticket and get a, a premium price um, somewhere else, whether you sell it outside a stadium or, or what. That moved online, so scalping is a well-known problem from from bots in the ticketing industry because there's the ability to make money off it if you can resell it at a higher price for a high-demand show. What you've now, is this has moved from shows, it's moved into the retail space, and now you've got this perfect storm of... the the pandemic where you weren't able to walk into stores and actually purchase these items uh, over the counter and walk out with it, it all went online. So you actually had to go online to it. So the bot operators suddenly realized if they can grab as many of these consoles as possible and hoard them, they can uh, arbitrage the price and get that increased uh, profit margin from it. So it's a business uh, for these bot operators. So grabbing as many and hoarding as many bot, uh, of these gaming consoles as possible and then reselling them is is how they're making their money and paying their mortgage.
0: When you all are tracking the activity of bots, so how many of the bots are out there trying to not look like bots you know are, are there some that just do their business and are fine with everybody knowing and seeing that they are bots but others that try to look more human-like
1: yeah i think i think that's um we, we try and classify that as the, the sophistication level of the bots um so mm-hmm. the more sophisticated they are they, they try and emulate human behavior right they might move a, a mouse on a on a screen. They might pause before clicks. They might scroll the page. Um, they might have characteristics that make them appear more human-like, because ultimately, that's what businesses want on their website. They want uh, humans on a browser, browsing, reading, purchasing goods, using services online. um, And that's the perfect traffic for them because that's where their business is going to thrive. Uh, What bots do is try and imitate that and and, and look as human as possible. Um, So the more sophisticated they are, they try and evade whatever detections are in there. Um, whether it be rate limits or uh, a lot of people might be familiar with putting a uh, capture in front of uh, of people to make them fill out you know w- you know find all the traffic signs in this in mm. this picture or whatever it is that's a technique to remove automation but there are sophisticated bots that can get beyond those captures and actually program and, and, and get, get through those. So um, there, there is definitely the range of simple bots that get caught by very simple techniques and then there are more sophisticated that are trying to actively evade detection methods.
0: That's Edward Roberts from Imperva. I'm pleased to be joined once again by Malek Ben Salem. She is the Technology Research Director for Security at Accenture. Malek, it's always great to have you back. Um, you know, I want to touch base with you on application security. Um, you know, we've seen uh, the recent executive order come down from uh, the presidential administration, and I know that's something that you and your team are working on. Uh, specifically, can we touch today on optimizing security scanning?
2: Yeah, sure. Uh, thanks for having me back, Dave. Yeah, with the executive order, I think there has been calls for even more scanning, more application scanning, and performing various types of scans, Uh, you know, the the static application security scan tests or SAST, DAST scans, IaaS scans, etc. But we know that these scans generate loads of findings uh, that developers may not be able to respond to in a timely manner or they may not be able to respond to at all, right? Especially for the vulnerabilities that are not that critical. So uh, what we wanted to do is to help these development teams uh, prioritize what they need to respond to. And um, we do so by, you know, several optimizations. Uh, Number one, we uh, generate some exploitability rankings for these vulnerabilities. So that uh, you know the, the the teams respond to the findings that have the highest exploitability, and some of the the existing uh, scanning tools do provide that, but but we take it to the next level by adding some additional information about the vulnerabilities, such as their exploitability over time, uh, their their past exploitability, but also. You know these are scores that are available through the uh, the MVD database right through the mm. uh, their um, common vulnerability scoring system. Uh, they do provide some of these scores such as the impact of the of the vulnerability and its exploitability, but it's based on the likelihood of that vulnerability being exploited. What yeah. we add is uh, threat intelligence information about whether that whether that vulnerability has been actually exploited, whether we've seen POCs, right, proofs of concepts of that vulnerability being exploited and how many of them do we see. Now, we also uh, include information about the the vulnerability notability. Uh, So if um, vulnerability is gaining notability uh, in the media, that means uh, it either has been used or is very likely to be used by malicious actors by combining all of these scores, we come up with, with better exploitability rankings for these um, vulnerabilities that application teams and uh, application development teams and security teams can, uh, can use to prioritize which uh, vulnerabilities they, they need to mitigate or remediate first.
0: So is it part of the notion here that you're providing um, a lot more context to the information that they're getting?
2: Absolutely, absolutely. And that is key for these teams who are very time-constrained. The second thing we do, actually, is identify any correlated vulnerabilities or, in some cases, any false positives that the the scanning tools um, generate. We have realized that a lot of the vulnerabilities being found are actually false positives that, you know, teams do not have necessarily to respond to. Uh, and so we, we do some triaging to help these teams, and we do that through uh, different techniques. Number one, we look at duplicates within the same scan. So we review the same scan, identify if there are any vulnerabilities that have been reported twice or more. And we remove those so that the teams you know, respond to fixing the vulnerability just once. Mm. Um, we correlate uh, findings between different types of scans. So we take the, the SAS scan and the DAS scan, and we try to identify if there are vulnerabilities reported in the same scan that are actually the same vulnerability. Again, this would help the team just respond to one, right? Mitigate just one instead of. Responding twice to to these vulnerabilities reported differently on two different reports hmm. and then the third thing we do correlation between scans so what I talked about um, between scans in different uh, time windows right so so earlier I talked about correlating vulnerabilities between SAS and a DAS scan and that's at one uh, you know snapshot um, but you know sometimes uh, we can correlate a scan done, let's say, a week ago with a scan that has been done today and look at the, the correlations between the vulnerabilities between scans and remove any false positives that have been identified in the previous scan so that we don't have to uh, respond to it again or analyze it in the, the current scan. And uh, what we found out is that we can uh, identify between 50 and 80 percent of these false positives, and we're able to save about 64 percent of the security analysts' time as they are reviewing um, these these findings from the scans and other as they are trying to triage them. Hmm. Uh, And this can be all enabled through um, uh, artificial intelligence.
0: Now, that's fascinating. I mean, obviously, you know, nothing is perfect and, and uh, I, I suspect, you know, that the AI is not perfect as well. But I mean, is the system constantly feeding back on itself so that it, as over time the, the results that, that it generates are also improving?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. It is constantly learning and it's constantly applying or contextualizing information for particular clients because we know that the uh, development environment for one one of our clients may be different from another client um, mm. so we are optimizing that learning per, per client environment
0: yeah, interesting alright, well fascinating stuff uh, Malek ben Salem. thanks for joining us thank you Dave And that's The CyberWire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. Don't forget to check out this weekend's edition of Research Saturday and my conversation with Gage Mealy and Yuri Polozov from Anomaly. We're discussing primitive bear, gamaradon, and it targeting Ukraine with timely themes. That's Research Saturday. Do check it out. That's cyberwire.com slash survey, and share your feedback now. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations.